Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I look forward to being able to call up Pete and text him he's he's texting me like crazy all the time like hey johnny what's what you know is going on with this and that and so it's uh yeah it's been a great it's been a great experience uh so um here we go uh you know we have a clear directive from jody allen moving forward as we embark on our new coaching search uh, it's clear, it's concise. You know, we want to keep our positive culture. John Schneider meets with reporters yesterday as the general manager. He has been, but he's never really been in charge. It was always Pete Carroll running the show and John Schneider helping Pete Carroll set the table. That's what makes this kind of awkward, kind of unusual. And it wasn't like Schneider launched some palace coup. Others in the organization, as Pete Carroll said on Friday, appearing on Seattle Sports Radio, non-football people making the decision to move on from Pete Carroll. They move on from the coach. They hand the baton to John Schneider, who will be in charge of finding the next head coach. And off he goes. I didn't think they'd be able to, to pull it off. And I wondered last week a little bit whether Pete Carroll felt like maybe, you know, Schneider had something to do with it. But I think at the end of the day, this was just a situation where they made the decisions, almost like when a team fires the coach and elevates the coordinator. Like, what's the coordinator going to say? No, I don't want the job. They decided that Pete Carroll had to go, but they wanted to keep John Schneider. And Schneider has two choices. Say, thank you very much or storm out the door in protest into the unemployment line. So he he made the the fiscally prudent move, and also to the extent that you want to have a place to go to work every day, not that he wouldn't have found other work, but what are you going to say? What are you going to say? They made the decision to move on from Pete Carroll. He makes the decision to step into the, the captain's chair of the entire operation. 
Yeah, it, it reminds me of that gif you love from The Office where, you know, Steve Carell is pushing John Engel, the actor, out of the door. And it's kind of like, okay, bye-bye, old man. Like, we got this from here. But, like, it's not like, you know, John Schneider is really closing the door in Pete Carroll's face. It's that, you know, Jody Allen is basically the one that is doing that and being like, no, John Schneider, it's your time now. So that's really interesting to me, you know, that this is the way that they want their program to run. They, they want the program to essentially remain kind of the same, but you need to be elevated in terms of different things. And Pete Carroll, yeah, he's 72 years old, man. It's not like he is... Uh, somebody that's young and all of these different things. So they want to get somebody in there who's going to be able to elevate the football program. And I understand that from an ownership standpoint, but I also think that it's really interesting when you see John Schneider talking about his relationship there with Pete Carroll and just how meaningful it is to him. Like, I mean, maybe there is some performance element to that, you know, being at the podium and all that, but I kind of didn't get that feeling at least watching that clip. And I'd read some things about it and I hadn't seen it until just now, but it's like, that seems like genuine emotion to me. And, you know, I, I think that it says something about that building and the way that things have operated and that those guys really were truly in lockstep when it comes to trying to build that team. And so now Schneider is going to have to set his vision and his vision alone for what that program is going to be going forward. And I'm really interested to see who they hire as head coach. Well, here's Schneider talking yesterday about his new role and what excites him about his first ever head coaching search. Basically, the role changes our setup earlier was, and it's been a question for a number of years, uh, the coaching staff did not fall under my umbrella, and now, now it will. And it's not, a, it's not a necessarily a Jody Allen decision or uh, choosing this person or that person. It's just a contractual situation. 14 years is a long time for one coach to be in, in, in a spot, right? And, and uh, it's been incredible. God rest his soul, uh, Marty Schottenheimer would always tell me, you know, one coach can't stay in one spot for more than 10 years. Uh, he retired when I was with him in, in Kansas City for a year. And uh, it's just that opportunity to learn from all these people that are doing incredible things you know, in college football and around the na and around the National Football League, and you cannot—if you're stagnant in this league—you're you're behind. Here's reality: every scout of players is also scouting coaches, because every scout aspires to be a general manager. And when that person finally becomes a general manager, they want to be ready with the coach they're going to hire. Sometimes it's just a close friend. Sometimes it's just somebody you don't even know that they want. They've got their list that they keep most of themselves of the coaches they would want once they finally achieve their, their dream of becoming fully and completely in charge of a football operation. And this situation is weird because John Schneider is so established, but he's never been in charge. He's never had to hire a coach. He's got 20-plus years of knowledge and experience of all the coaches out there, everything he's ever heard, everything he's ever seen, everything he's ever studied, everything he's ever concluded, he knows who he wants. Now, when we played the matchmaker game over the weekend, based upon things I've been hearing about which coach ends up where, where each coach is currently tied, it was Dan Quinn to Seattle. I don't know that you can sell that after Sunday. 
to the extent you got non-football people in the building who are asking questions and putting their finger on the scale, I don't know how you sell that to them because at some point you got to sell that to your fans. How do you sell? I mean, when the first question at the suit and tie press conference, and we know they're coming, suit and tie press conference season is coming, NFL fans. When Dan Quinn's sitting there with his suit and tie on, and the first question, it probably won't be this, but one of them is going to be, how the hell did you give up 48 points to the Green Bay Packers and how will you keep that from happening here? That's not the way to really you know, make a strong, immediate bond with your paying customers. So I think Dan Quinn becomes a tougher sell for John Schneider, even if Dan Quinn's the name at the top of the list. And I saw some movement in the betting markets. I get all the offshore platform mm-hmm. odds, like we're going to mention them, like we're, we're going to give any credence whatsoever to the offshore. Like, come on, we're not going to mention the off ever. But I have seen some movement where Mike Vrabel is becoming, you know, in play in Seattle, which would make sense if it happens. Yeah, it, it would make sense. I mean, it, it seems like it would be uh, kind of an extension of the defensive-minded guy, right, who comes in. We know that Mike Vrabel can build a team. We know that Mike Vrabel has been successful. We know that Mike Vrabel has elevated talent. Um, to great levels, right? I mean, he went to the AFC Championship game with Ryan Tannehill as his starting quarterback, for crying out loud, and with all due respect to Ryan Tannehill. So, like, that's that's something where I, I could see that happening. I guess the way that you would sell Dan Quinn is effectively with nostalgia because he was on that coaching staff, right, when they won Super Bowl and when they went to the next Super Bowl and somehow lost um, because they didn't want to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch there. So, like... There are ways where I think you could sell that. And Dan Quinn obviously has done some really good things with that defense um, that was there in Dallas. Uh, The weekend's performance over uh, against Green Bay, not a good representation of that. But I think that if you are convinced that Dan Quinn is the guy and he's the guy for you, then it's your job, if you're John Schneider, to sell that no matter what. Like that one game should not take you off of that track if that's where your mind was going into this offseason. Yes, but it's still a tougher sell to the people that John Schneider ultimately has to sell this to. It becomes a tougher sell after Sunday. All in high stakes. Everyone knows the pressure, everyone knows the situation. And to give up that many points, not not a good look for uh, anyone that would be thinking about hiring Dan Quinn at this point. All right, John Schneider also addressed yesterday the makeup of the team right now because it's kind of in flux and the quarterback situation hovers. They could get out of the Geno Smith contract by the middle of March if they want to. Here's Schneider talking about the current status of the roster. I think it's a young, talented uh, team that, that is, uh, you know, feels like they're right on the cusp. I think there's a lot of guys that have a ton of confidence in their abilities. Uh, they're all very highly disappointed in what just happened. I think to a man, they would all tell you that, um, and I know this from you know the exit interviews that I had, that we still should be playing. And um, everybody was very disappointed. But uh, I think it's a great core. I think, uh, again, I think we're a very attractive job because of that. You know, they, there's... Like there's young talent all over the place. 
And there really is, without question. Mm -hmm. But the first question when you're looking at any roster is who's the quarterback? And they've got some flexibility. They could walk away from Geno Smith. They could walk away from Drew Locke. Drew Locke, I think, did a one-year deal. They could try to sign Kirk Cousins. They could try to trade for Justin Fields. There's a lot of options. It comes down to who the coach is and what the vision is, but John Schneider is going to be involved in that as well. It's not like the coach is going to come in and take over. Schneider's going to have some ideas, and he's going to feel invested to a certain extent in Geno Smith because they're the team that turned Geno Smith into a successful starting quarterback. And they have a favorable contract. They have flexibility. Why would Schneider want to tear it up and move on? It's not like Smith was bad last year. He was the only difference was he didn't make the playoffs. So I, I think that that you know it's to be determined, but I could see Schneider not wanting to take advantage of the opportunity to rip that contract up and wanting to let it ride for another year and giving the new coach and hiring the coach with the mindset of getting the most out of the current quarterback and just seeing what happens going forward. Defensively, I think they can get to where they want to be. They need, they need, that needs more work, but yeah, there's a, there's a nucleus there of good players that, that aren't, you know, approaching 30 that you can work with several years into the future. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, defensively, their secondary is young. It's talented. They've got good young corners. So that's something that you can work with. Their run defense has got to get better. That's something that they wanted to do this year, and then it, it just did not get to that level that they needed it to be. And then offensively, I mean, you still got DK Metcalf, great young receiver, I mean, youngish receiver is entering into his prime, I guess I should say. Smith and Jigbo, we saw that he can make dynamic plays. Tyler Lockett's still there, veteran guy, yes, but he can still get it done for you so there are pieces on offense and on defense where you can say this team can be competitive immediately um it's just going to be about getting the right coach in there and if it is a, a defensive minded guy per se then making sure you have the right offensive coordinator that can get the most out of the unit and you know if that happens to still be Shane Waldron it would not totally shock me just based on the way that they've been able to uh, get the most out of Geno Smith over the last couple of years, right? I mean, you won a game against the Eagles, and we know the Eagles were doing things that the Eagles were doing, but still, you won that game with Drew Locke. So I think that if you bring in a defensive-minded head coach, there's it's not out of the realm of possibility that Shane Waldron, their current offensive coordinator, could stay and then try to continue to get the most out of that unit. If I could pick one name to be head coach of the Seahawks, it would be... Jim Harbaugh not that there's any indication mm. that there's interest although a day ago there was no indication there was any interest in Atlanta I just like the idea of Harbaugh going back to the NFC West taking over a team that that was you know they, it was the nemesis what's your deal all that stuff and sticking yeah. it to the 49ers or trying to a couple of times per season all right let's take a break season ended over the weekend for six playoff teams we will do a post-mortem of sorts for the teams that suddenly found their seasons over over the past few days when PFT Live continues right after this. We've had uh, conversations, like we said, we wouldn't talk with, you know, throughout the season uh, in terms of contract stuff, but we've stayed in touch with his agent, uh, had good conversations throughout the year. 
Um, never talked about money or anything, just good conversations about, you know, where he is and the relationship with Mike and the team here and everything he's done. And, you know, so the goal is to have him here uh, long-term playing at a high level. So, you know, that's always the goal, and um, we'll continue and we'll communicate with him through the offseason here. And, and like we've always said in the past, you know, you guys know me, we don't really talk in the media <laughs> through all that stuff, so we'll just we'll keep all those talks internal and with his rep, reps. Chris Greer, general manager of the Miami Dolphins, early this week meeting with the media, talking about Tua Tonga-Vailoa's future. Before we go any farther, though, if you were to have a box of 64 crayons, you know, and that was always the holy grail when I was a kid. If you got the 64 box, you were living large. I was what would be the name? What would be the name on the crayon that is the color of the hoodie Mike McDaniel was wearing? I don't, well, I don't quite I, know what know. color that is. <laughs> it's not quite lemon. It's not quite mustard. It's not quite, is it pineapple? Am I being influenced by the Baptist Health logo? I don't know what it is. <laughs> I like it. I just don't know what I would call it. Any ideas? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't make enough money to know what that color is. <laughs> yeah. As we said know, to Mike McDaniel when he... Joined us on stage in the combine last year when he was wearing whatever it was he was wearing. Chris Sims and I said, can't hide money. And he said, not trying, not trying to. to. Now, yeah. speaking of money, um, well, and that leads us to a talk about law. And let's, let's, before we do our categories of postmortems here, let me just say this. It's one thing to tell the world you want to keep a guy around. It's another thing to reach an agreement with him and his agents on what that looks like financially. Has he earned a contract? Yes. Has he earned a $55 million a year contract at the top of the market? No. Where does he land on this range of quarterback, veteran quarterbacks, from the Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes territory down to the Jimmy Garoppolo territory of mid-20s? Where does Tua fall? That's going to be the big challenge if and when they try to work out a deal with Tua. And they have him for one more year at just around $23 million. They, they don't have any urgency. And they could franchise tag him next year. If he just blows the doors off next year and wins MVP or something, they could always tag him if they wanted to for a year or two. They could, but the other thing that is part of this is whether or not Tua Tungavailoa will force the issue, right? I mean, you, you could get the, the kind of manifesto statement that we got from Kyler Murray's agent where you needed a magnifying glass to read the print, right? Yes. I mean, if that <laughs> happens then what do the, the Miami Dolphins do in response? Because at a certain point, quarterbacks can kind of force that issue and say, well, I'm going to withhold my services unless you pay me. And that's why Kyler Murray got paid because they made such a stink about it. Now he could have done it more privately, whatever, but that's the kind of issue here where, yeah, he's under contract for next year. And yeah, the Dolphins have that, but, if there is the urgency from Tungavailoa's side, then that's the thing that can change things. So I don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, to me, I don't think he's anywhere near the $55 million a year mark. Like, that's just, if he were, then he'd be able to elevate things a little bit more. And you probably wouldn't see that team lose to the Miami Dolphins, excuse me, to the Tennessee Titans at home. You know, you don't see him lose to Buffalo like they did at home in week 18. And then you go on the road and you just have absolutely no chance unless you're just throwing up yak balls to uh, Tyreek Hill. I mean, that just 
quarterbacks have to be able to elevate guys a little bit better than that if you want to be at that tier. So to me, it's like 40 to 45 million a year. I can see that, but is that going to be enough for Tonga Bailoa? That's what we don't know. I'd say more like 30 to 35, but regardless, wow. here's one of the realities. The team is constantly negotiating with everyone. They do it all the time. Contract, 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 contract. Different dynamics, different circumstances, but they have patterns, they have strategies. Tua is going to do it once. And Tua, and this is both good and bad, he's a little too deferential. Now, maybe he's grown out of that. Maybe Mike McDaniel has emboldened him to become less deferential. Every once in a while, we see flashes of salty Tua, but it doesn't happen very often. That's what makes it so awesome when it does. But it's going to be be sustained salt that's necessary from Tua for him to get the contract he wants because negotiations can be very difficult, and you have to be ready, not just for one difficult meeting or conversation, but a series of difficult conversations, and you have to be willing to, to you know, kind of, kind of hunker down and do what it what it takes to get that contract you want and he doesn't have it's not a criticism it's just an observation he doesn't seem to have that he's he's like i said he's deferential he's nice he he's got he's got to set that aside and say i'm gonna go get what's mine i deserve this now that's where the agent comes into play the agent becomes the voice on behalf of the player the player's got to be on board with it the player can't get you know, jumpy and say, just take it, just take it, just take it, just take it. The player's got to say, fight for more, fight for more, fight for more. So that's what makes it interesting. All right, let's get to the postmortem for the six teams that lost in the wild card round. The quarterback with the most uncertain future is who, Miles? I think it's Kenny Pickett. I mean, when you get supplanted by Mason Rudolph because he has the proverbial hot hand, like that's not really a good sign for you in your future. Like, Kenny Pickett, he's been, I. You know, he's done good things late in games a lot, but if you have to do good things late in games, it means that you've not been consistent enough over the course of the rest of the game a lot of the time. So that's where it's kind of, man, I I don't know if the Steelers are going to stick with him. Obviously, we talked a lot about their head coaching situation, and Mike Tomlin said he's going to be back for 2024, but that's going to be the case. I don't know if you can just go into that season with Kenny Pickett as your unquestioned QB and think, yeah, this is going to be automatically successful, Mike. Pickett would be the first one I thought of, but also, how about Cleveland? I don't know which quarterback to name. Who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Are we talking about Joe Flacco? Are we talking about Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Are we talking about Deshaun Watson? And obviously, Watson, QB1, by virtue of his contract. I feel like what the Browns did without him this year puts more pressure on him and everyone else for next year. There are various reports out there about changes to the offensive coaching staff. They've got to get this figured out. This is the year where it's up or out for the people around Deshaun Watson. And it could be that that Kevin Stefanski goes from potential coach of the year to potential hot seat in one year because they're still invested in Watson for three more years. They owe him. They don't have to play him, but they have to pay him. This is the year that they have to get a return. This is the year that it has to happen. And if he's healthy and it doesn't work, he's not going to be the one who's blamed because they still got two more years after that. It's going to be everyone around him. So the pressure is on everyone, starting with Watson, to ultimately prove that he's worthy of the contract he's gotten. But you know what? It's the thing about getting a fully guaranteed contract. 
You don't have to prove anything to anybody. You're still going to get it. Once they sign it, you're getting every penny. Whether you play well, whether you don't, you're getting it all. So it's, you know, the Browns, maybe it's maybe it's good that they lost as bad as they did. You know, think of how, I, I know you'd have rather they won, but I think it's easier to just reset to Deshaun Watson. We still have a great defense. 100%. Let's reset to Deshaun Watson, and let's see what we can do next year. Instead of Joe Flacco gets us to the AFC championship game, and then what the hell do we do next year? Yeah, right. No, you're not, you're not wrong about that. I mean, it, it certainly is easier to reset to Deshaun Watson when you, the quarterback goes back-to-back interceptions, you know, or pick sixes, not just interceptions. Back-to-back pick freaking sixes and then just completely takes you out of the game. But that's that was the entire problem with Joe Flacco the entire time he was starting. He turned the ball over too much, but that's not what we're really talking about here. We don't have to depress me any more than I already am. One last thing before the next topic. People would say Dak Prescott has the most uncertain future. His future is certain. He's going nowhere next year. He's got a cap number of nearly $60 million. He has huge leverage in Dallas. They're going to turn that into a market-level contract. They can't trade him. The, The cap hit would be even worse if they did. I was looking at the numbers the other day. They're stuck at 59.4 if they don't do anything. And the way his contract's structured, it's the last year of his deal, and they can't franchise tag him in 2025. So he's going to get a long-term contract. Whoever coaches that team had better be on board with it. And Prescott's the one who said, if Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat, I should be too. The reality is his contract, unless he's going to tear it up, his contract makes it very difficult for the Cowboys to do anything other than bring him back. The team that's closest to the Super Bowl of the six that lost this past weekend is who, Miles? Well, I honestly, I kind of think it's Dallas, depending on who the coach is, right? If it's Mike McCarthy, then maybe not. But if it's somebody like Mike Vrabel, for instance, who we know can elevate talent, then yeah, I think that they would probably be on the right track. I mean, obviously Philadelphia's got a lot of talent too, but you know, with Jason Kelsey retiring, you know, with questions about some of the defensive guys who have been there for a long time, got Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, like you don't know exactly what that team is going to look like next year. Cleveland, if Deshaun Watson's good, they are great, then they're also ostensibly decently close. Um, to the Super Bowl too, especially if you get Nick Chubb back healthy. But I, I would say just based on what we know right now, it's Dallas if they get the right coach, Mike. I agree with you. It's Dallas. They were the two seed, the highest seed of any of the teams that lost this weekend. They had a great regular season. It just went sideways for them on Sunday. But they've got enough continuity, consistency. The Eagles, I'm tempted to say, but yeah, and and the Eagles had that Whatever that was, I want to get to the bottom of whatever the hell happened before I can have any faith in them turning it around next year. Like, I don't even know in September if they're going to have it figured out if they don't make a coaching change. All right. uh, The team that's farthest from the Super Bowl of the six that lost in Super Wild Card Weekend is who, Miles? I think it's probably the Dolphins. And, you know, some of that's on the quarterback, some of that's on coaching, so that's just on the situation in the AFC where you've got elite QBs like Patrick Mahomes, like Joe Burrow, like Lamar Jackson, like Josh Allen, like it looks like CJ Stroud is another one that's going to be in that conversation. And if that's the case, man, how are you going to be able to leapfrog all of those teams, especially when one is in your own division? That, that's tough. So I, I right now, I, I think it's the Dolphins. Apparently, some Dolphins fans out there 
a lot of them are, are happy with what I said the other day, that above all else, they need to go back to the old uniforms. If we're looking for a greater level of toughness from the yes. Miami Dolphins, how you present yourself to your opponent and the rest of the world has a lot to do with that. Okay. The throwbacks that they wear a couple of times a year are so much better and badder and tougher than what we see. How does ownership not see it? How is there no one in that organization that is capable of going to Stephen Ross and saying, hey, boss, we tried this thing with the swirly dolphin and the, the lighter colors, and it's run its course. Falcons let's go back. Too. Let's put the Falcons to what in that we category. Used. Let's, let's do that. I mean, because they need that toughness. Chris pointed that out in recent weeks. There's just an element of toughness lacking from the Dolphins. What better way to get there? What easier way to get there than to put them in a uniform that's going to make them feel tougher when it's go out when it's time to go out and play? I think the I think the Steelers are the farthest from the Super Bowl. Okay. I mean, there's a difference between not having a losing record and getting to a Super Bowl. Who the hell yeah. is the quarterback going to be next year? Kenny Pickett, we talked about him earlier. I mean, I feel bad saying this. I don't want to be overly critical, but he doesn't do anything that makes you say, oh, wow, when's he going to do that next? Oh, wow, look at that. Oh, you know, you lean forward in your chair and say, he made that throw? And if you you got to be able to do something special if you're going to hold a quarterback job in the NFL because there's enough guys out there who can do it if you can't. The team that we'll be talking – do we even need to answer this one? The team we'll be talking about most this offseason. It's the team we're talking about. It's the Cowboys, right? Is there another team on there that you would argue we would be not talking about or talking about more than we'll be talking about the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, maybe not. The, the Eagles are the only one with the case just because the Eagles are also in that division and whatever the hell is going on there right now, they have a case. But other than that, no, I mean, it's the Cowboys. That was, that was your Jim Mora playoffs. You know, <laughs> the Cowboys. Playoffs. <laughs> Cowboys. Um, and and it's, it's possible it's the Eagles to the extent that it becomes a free-for-all of all the different versions from all the different participants of what the hell happened to that team. And if everyone decides, screw it, we're just going to spill our guts. And, you know, look, you you mentioned the possibility of a culture shock if Bill Belichick would end up in Kansas City. I mean, if the way these dominoes fall today is Nick Sirianni's out and Bill Belichick's in in Philly, that could be the ultimate shock to the system of all the Eagles players. I mean, they may not react to it very well at all. You may have a room full of Darius Slays who say, get me the hell out of here. So, you know, where Belichick lands, if he lands with one of these six teams, we're going to be talking about that team a lot, maybe for good reasons, maybe for bad. All right, we take a break. When we return, the Commanders introduced their second general manager, Yesterday, the first one probably won't be the GM much longer, but Adam Peters introduced to the media. We'll hear some of what he had to say next year on PFT. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? 
Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The Washington Commanders overhauling the football operation. They're doing it in a way that was predictable to a lot of people as we get to the point where Adam Peters is now the general manager of the team. There's some folks around the league who believe that this deal was essentially in place for weeks. He was always the guy. Regardless, he took the job. He was introduced yesterday as GM. While they still have a GM in Martin Mayhew, I think the hope is that Mayhew will take some other role and continue to work with Peters. Regardless, the most important question is what the commanders are going to do by way of a coach, Miles. And here's Peters from yesterday talking about what they are looking for in a head coach and the state of the roster that can be used to maybe lure a good coach to come to D.C. We're looking for the best leader for this team, for the Washington commanders. And so uh, we, we have set criteria that we're going to have a, be aligned in that vision. And it's not going to be in a box. It's not going to be offense. It's not going to be defense. It's going to be the best leader for this organization. I believe that there's a few cornerstone pieces in this roster. I believe we have a lot of work to do, and that's just evaluating everybody. And that's going to start with the coaches. When this coach is coming, we hire a head coach. We sit down together with the personnel department, and we sit down and, and evaluate everything and figure out where we need to be. So that's an ongoing process. I've, I've started a little bit, but we have a lot of work to do, David. The same folks who believe that the Adam Peters deal was essentially done weeks ago believe that Ben Johnson will be the next coach of the Washington Commanders. We'll see how it plays out, but there's a sense that they're, they're kind of tied together. You know, Adam Peters with his list of coaches that he would want to hire as scouts, scout not just players but coaches. We talked about that earlier. Ben Johnson, top of the list, or or the top of somebody else's list in the organization who's telling Adam Peters, forget about your list this is who we want to be the head coach. Let's see what happens once the Lions season ends. And obviously the Lions hope that that won't happen until Las Vegas in a few weeks. But whenever it ends, that's when Ben Johnson is in position to potentially be hired. Yeah, I don't know that the Lions season is going to end this week, especially playing another home playoff game. But, you know, I, I think Ben Johnson's a great candidate, not just for Washington, but for anybody. But when you look at Washington and they've got the number two overall pick, likely means they're going to end up with Caleb Williams or Drake May. I, that's an attractive situation to go into because you've got new ownership. You've got a new GM. You understand that you're going to have some level of patience, right? That's going to be in play there in order to get the program off on the right foot. I think Josh Harris has shown that he will be patient with coaches based on what he's done with the 76ers. So that's something that's also positive. And you really just have this completely different vibe now 
with the commander's organization, you know, and, and that's a really big positive. So whether it's Ben Johnson, whether it ends up being somebody else, like that, that's not a bad situation now to walk into. Certainly not the kind of situation that Ron Rivera walked into four years ago. And the one thing to keep in mind in a cycle where there are so many former NFL head coaches who are in play Anyone who's never been an NFL head coach before, when you make that jump from coordinator to the top job, it's a fundamentally different existence. Some guys can do it. Some guys can't. And it's just like taking a quarterback from the college level to the NFL level. Some work out. Some don't. We'll find out if Ben Johnson can make the transition to head coach, how much he's learned from Dan Campbell, how much he's learned elsewhere, what his innate skills are. Can he be as successful as the person who – is in charge of the room as he is when it's time for him to teach X's and O's to the offense only. But apparently his name has been on the radar screen the past couple of years. It feels like, and this was like the name that was hovering over, you know, all season long, we identify the hot coordinators. He was always the one that we just assumed would get an opportunity and maybe it'll come in Washington. Will Antonio Pierce get the opportunity to be, the permanent head coach of the Raiders. Some tough talk recently from Max Crosby, who really wants him there, Miles. And the fact that the Raiders have now put the ball on the tee, they've done all the interviews that they have to do to comply with the Rooney Rule. They are the first team, other than the Patriots, who were able because of contractual arrangements that circumvent the Rooney Rule, frankly, they were able to hire Gerard Mayo right away. The Raiders are now in a position where they can hire anybody at any time, and everyone's wondering, are they going to give Antonio Pierce the job? It seems like that's the way the wind is blowing in Las Vegas, certainly um, with Antonio Pierce being named head coach and then Champ Kelly probably being named as the permanent GM. And you know, I, I think Antonio Pierce earned the opportunity to do it. You know, Going five and four with that roster – And with that team completely changing the culture from what Josh McDaniels had set in the preseason to what we saw at the end of the season, you know, I, I understand why Mark Davis would be inclined to keep that, you know, that to me is almost more impressive than the job Rich Bisaccia did keeping that team together and then advancing to the playoffs, keep giving the Cincinnati Bengals all they could handle back in 2021 in part because things were so bad under Josh McDaniels right? That you had to completely reset everything. And Antonio Pierce embodies the Raiders. He does it very well. I think that that hire makes sense. I mean, it could happen as soon as today, right? So uh, if there's one team that we can look for to make a move today at head coach, I I think it would be the Raiders. And I, I, I was saying throughout the final weeks of the regular season that Mark Davis needs to learn from the mistake he made last year or two years ago, excuse me, when he didn't keep Basaccia and Mike Mayock after they led the team through some pretty dysfunctional times. You failed then, you get another opportunity where interim GM and interim coach are getting it done at a more than acceptable level. Are you going to fail this time? The problem, though, is you got to resist the temptation to make a beeline for Jim Harbaugh or now that Mike Vrabel's out there. You know, the the word on the NFL streets over the weekend was when you start connecting dots, Vrabel to the Raiders. Tom Brady, intimately involved in the team, even though his attempt to purchase 5 to 10% of the franchise is yet to be approved by the owners, and it might never be, 
but he's involved, and he and Vrabel are tight. And Vrabel, you know, when when I first saw oh Vrabel to the Raiders, it's kind of you know what, it kind of kind of like the sound of that. So will Mark Davis hold firm with what we feel like Antonio Pierce has deserved, or will he become tempted to make a bigger splash with a Jim Harbaugh or a Mike Vrabel? And the thing is, now that the Rooney Rule's been fully complied with and they can hire anyone at any time, he could bring, Jim Harbaugh could show up today, and he could hire Jim Harbaugh today if he wanted to. And Antonio Pierce could end up coaching somewhere else. You know, yep. in the, the rough matchmaker thing we did, it was Pierce to the Titans, which I kind of like the sound of that. And maybe Pierce to the Falcons. If Bill Belichick doesn't go to the Falcons, who's going to get that job? Antonio Pierce there. You know, Antonio, like, this is the anti-Jeff Saturday. Even, and, and Pierce at least had been coaching with the Raiders and had coached at a high level at Arizona State. But he doesn't have an extensive coaching resume. But he got the opportunity, and it worked. That's what we were talking about earlier with Ben Johnson. You go into that job, you either got it or you don't. And we saw pretty early that Antonio Pierce has it. And yes. others have noticed. That's the difference, too. It's not like Rich Passaccia all of a sudden ended up on coaching interview dance cards all throughout the NFL, although maybe he didn't. I'm just forgetting. But this idea that Pierce is a real candidate in Tennessee and possibly a real candidate in Atlanta that may be enough to get Mark Davis to say man wow I mean if I if I let this interim coach go not only not only is there no guarantee whoever I hire is going to be better I'm going to have to witness Antonio Pierce ascend to become a great head coach with someone else well, no doubt. And, you know, he's going to bring the attitude. He's going to bring the swag wherever he goes. Well, the one thing that I think is at least a question, and I'm not trying to make this a negative. It, it just is. It's the question that you'd ask any head coaching candidate. Who is your who are your coordinators going to be? And what is your vision for what this thing should look like? Right. And that specifically applies to the offense because, you know, look, the Raiders defense greatly improved over the course of the season. Patrick Graham did a great job with that unit. I'm sure Antonio Pierce is very involved in that as well. But you know, when it comes to the offense, it's not like this is a team that was all that fantastic unless they were playing the Chargers on Thursday night football and embarrassing the other team, right? I mean, the week before they had just gotten shut out by the Vikings. So let's see what they're able to do at offensive coordinator. Who's going to be able to come in? Is that Bohard agree? Is he going to still be there? What is the plan? What does your vision look like for a quarterback? What does your vision look like for an offense? That's something that I am really interested in because, you know, when you adapt what you already have into having, a, you know, in, in, when you're an interim coach, like that's, that's one thing. And that's why it's so impressive to me because you didn't envision what this was when the off season was happening, you know, but what is the vision for the offense going forward? I, I think that that's something that's going to be really interesting to, to see if Antonio Pierce does, in fact, get this job or any job. Before we, before we break, can we put the graphic up again that had the various coaches of the Raiders over whatever period of time it was? Um, that's depressing, right? Yeah. And, and you look at, you look at the, the folks who managed to get above 500. Or at least not be woefully under 500. It was Pierce as an interim coach. It was Rich Basaccia as an interim coach. And then a little dust up above 500 a few years before that. 
But man, it's a it's been a it's been a rough twenty years for the now Las Vegas Raiders. And and this could be if they get this right and Antonio Pierce can can continue the trajectory that we've seen, they could have something special there. We'll find out. All right, let's take a break. The Saints making a surprising change, Miles Simmons on Tuesday. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. Here's the announcement from Tuesday. The New Orleans Saints, through head coach Dennis Allen, announced that the team has parted ways with offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael, senior offensive assistant Bob McNell, and wide receivers coach Cody Burns. Pete Carmichael had been with the Saints for 15 years. He was the offensive coordinator for a head coach who ran every single thing about the offense. Once Sean Payton left, Pete Carmichael became the play caller and the de facto head of the offense in New Orleans. He got a couple of years to do it. Decision was made that it's not getting done at a high enough level. So now the Saints, who are clearly keeping Dennis Allen, will be looking for a new offensive coordinator, Miles. Yeah, this is kind of the continuation of Dennis Allen really reshaping that staff and reshaping that team to fit what his vision is as opposed to kind of the remnants of the Sean Payton era, right? Because that's kind of what it was in year one. Then he kind of does a little bit of shifting with the coaches. They bring in Derek Carr, who was a quarterback that he drafted with the then Oakland Raiders and loves Derek Carr. I mean, it is very clear how much he believes in Derek Carr. At least it has been to me, you know, in listening to him speak about Derek Carr. So it's, it's interesting, you know, what happens when, the offense doesn't work with the quarterback, right? What happens when Pete Carmichael takes over in like the last two years on offense spin, let's call it stagnant. Um, there is another person that may be coming in there and that may have some different ideas and that has also worked with Derek Carr before that can make things a little bit better. Yeah, John Gruden, previous reports suggested he could take on a role with the New Orleans offense. Now that the offensive coordinator job is open, that's the most obvious landing spot. And this is complicated. This is delicate on a variety of levels. You've got the John Gruden emails that were sent before he was employed by the Raiders during the time that he was out of the NFL altogether working for ESPN. But those emails came to light October of 2021 after the first batch was leaked to the media. Nothing really happened. Life went on. Then the next batch comes out, and you got the impression it was going to continue, and it was going to keep getting worse, and it was going to keep getting worse, and eventually that was that. Not eventually, after the second batch, that's that. He's out. He sues the league, sues the commissioner for leaking these supposedly secret emails. That case was at the Nevada Supreme Court just last week on the question of whether or not the NFL will be able to force it into arbitration so the rest of us can't find out who leaked that they don't want us to know they want to do everything in secret. They don't want to have accountability. They don't want to have transparency, but boy, that makes it tough. You know, I reported, I think back in March, April, May, whenever they brought in Gruden for some of the off season program that the saints got no blowback from the league for doing it. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to bring him in for a practice or two. It's another thing to give him a job on the payroll of an NFL team at a time when he's suing the NFL. I'm not saying this is right. You're supposed to be able to set this stuff aside. Just like the Brian Flores lawsuit 
the lawsuit should be set aside as it relates yes. to him and Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton. But this is just for a team that the NFL already, at least from that team's perspective, they think the NFL hates them. It's not going to do anything to improve relations with 345 Park Avenue if they hire John Gruden. No, but it could improve relations with their offense. You know, I mean, it's interesting, right? If you have John Gruden calling your plays on offense, then you have somebody who already understands who Derek Carr is as a quarterback, what Derek Carr likes to run. It's like you're starting on third base as opposed to being in the batter's box, right? I mean, you understand what this offense can do. And I mean, John Gruden, he is who he is right? It's setting aside all of the other things. The man can still kind of coach offense. That's, that's not a secret work with Carson Wentz and helped him before Carson Wentz was able to go with the Los Angeles Rams. And Carson Wentz actually looked like a pretty competent quarterback going against the 49ers backups in week 18. So there are things there where this makes sense from a football standpoint, where even though there is a lot of other stuff that may come along with it, if John Gruden's interested in getting back in the game in this way and being somebody's offensive coordinator, A, that's kind of wild, you know, for him to have been a successful head coach in Tampa Bay, go on that long hiatus of being a coach and being on ESPN, being a really, really good Monday night football analyst, comes back with the Raiders, helps move the team to Las Vegas, and now then would be somebody else's offensive coordinator. It's just kind of an interesting career trajectory. See, I'll disagree with you on really, really good analyst. I think he always held back and he never said what he really believed because he was too busy trying to preserve avenues to the various NFL teams. Okay. If he was truly done, I think that's when an analyst can really flourish into being the best that that analyst can be. When, when there's no concern about having a pathway to this team, this team, this team, not mending, not having to mend fences with this owner or this player or whatever. But, you know... It could be at this stage of his life when it's going to be very hard for him to become a head coach in the NFL again. Very hard. Yes. You're still involved in the game, and you don't have to deal with any of the bull crap. He probably has yep. no patience for all the stuff that goes along with being a head coach. I can just scheme, and I can grind, and I can work with the quarterback, and I don't have to worry about press conferences like a head coach does. I don't have to worry about all the other crap a head coach has to deal with. It may end up being the perfect arrangement for him. If it happens, the NFL will not like it pending active litigation. If I'm the NFL, I'm trying to figure out a way to settle this. And you got to be careful and delicate when you're doing this. But if he's coming back to the NFL, the best outcome for the NFL would be to find a way to just resolve the litigation and off we go and let bygones be bygones and Gruden returns to the Saints. Let's take a break. We'll have more PFT Live right after this. Jones alone set back. Hit is Aaron Jones. Picks his way up. Touchdown. Touchdown. Aaron Jones doing it again to the Cowboys. The El Paso native making Big D his field. Mayfield throws the ball to the right side. Caught ball. And a broken tackle by four to the 40, to the 35, 30. David, it's Craig Palmer. Palmer to the five. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. Touchdown, Buccaneers. single wing type play here. This is going to be a direct snap. It goes to Pacheco spinning. Now moving to the left side. Pacheco! Touchdown! 
Kansas City, the single wing, again being used on the direct snap spinner. Here's the snap, blitz coming, Allen steps up in the pocket, going to take off and run, has the first down and more, to the 40, to the 35, 30, breaks away, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Josh Allen. Yeah, give him a flex, Josh, you just schooled them with their back turn. Two minutes to go. There's Goff back, looking, looking, throws. It is caught. Amon Ross St. Brown, first down. That's going to do it. That's going to do it. That's going to do it. Jared Goff delivers against his former team. Oh, the Detroit Lions have won it. Celebrate, boys. Celebrate. You're coming right back here next week. Hump day homers. And, you know, Miles, question for you. I didn't think of this until I saw somebody mention it yesterday on X. The Josh Allen run, do you think that that juke he made was kind of like a fake starting to slide move just far enough away from the line of faking the slide that no one can say he faked the slide? I didn't see it that way in real time, but once I saw one saw someone point it out, it's like, boy, if he did, that was that was the perfect just short of the line of a fake slide. Uh, maybe it was just short of the line of a face slide, but right there, I guess, yeah, he does start to pull back. I don't know. I mean, the way I saw it in real time, I just thought he was trying to make some sort of move. But, you know, if he is starting to stop, then, like, that puts defenders in an extraordinarily tough position because if you hit him, it's 15. And then they did later, and it was 15. He he definitely froze the guy that was closing in on trying to tackle him, got past him and then turned on the Jets and outran Patrick Peterson to the end zone. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFT Live right after this. Well, get ready for more of that stuff in Buffalo. Currently bracing for heavy snow, lake effect warning in place. According to the National Weather Service, Heavy lake effect snows could cause accumulations of one to three feet. Storm totals potentially exceeding four feet. The good news is the warning is currently in effect until 7 p.m. on Thursday. So snow could happen through Saturday morning. By Sunday, when it's game time, it should be fine. We saw by Monday night it was fine on the field. Wasn't so fine in the stands. Maybe they'll dig out the stands this time and let the people who have paid a lot of money to sit in seats actually, you know, sit in the seats. But nobody seemed to be all that upset about it, especially with the Bills winning. It was a great scene. It looked like it did any other game. As long as that snow is gone before Sunday at 6 o'clock, 6.30, thereabouts, Chiefs and Bills will be good to go. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going to affect the game, you know, in any way like that. But, man, oh, man, you got to have people digging themselves out of the stands. Like, that's where, to me, put a roof over the next stadium, guys. Don't make fans do things like that. Like, you know, and that has nothing to do with getting to the game. Like, that's an entirely separate issue. But, like, can we can we do something a little bit better? I know they're supposed to have the awning. Is that really going to prevent the snow from, like, accumulating in the seats like this? This this should not be a thing that we do in the 21st century where we have to, like, not sit down because we're in the snow. Uh, maybe people of Buffalo feel differently about this, but I'm looking at that. And I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? I don't know. I mean, the, the argument is you don't want to give up the home field advantage that comes from playing in the elements. But if they had actually played that game in the elements, the advantage would have been to the Steelers. Yes. Right? 
When yes. the elements are bad, the lesser team is going to close the gap. You have a good team. You have a team with a great offense. You don't want it to be restricted by snow and wind, etc. But that's what they chose to do. It will be open air when the new stadium is built, and it will definitely be full of snow when Sunday rolls around, but not on the field unless the forecast changes. All right, that's it. Miles, thanks as always for getting up extra early to do the program. Thanks to all of you for watching it. We'll see you Thursday morning with another brand new edition of PFT Live. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.